That's a cool snippet from the Almond Joys called Gotta Get Away. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. Now, that's Dwayne and Greg Almond's band before the Almond Brothers Band. I know I really dig that. It sounds like they uh, were really hip. They did a good job of fitting into that California psychedelic pop sound of the late 60s. I really like it. It's something that you, you know, any garage rock lover would uh, really be into getting that album uh, which which is was just released. I mean, it's hardly an ABB sound, but it's still good a rock, still good rock sound. Um, before they the brothers finally found what they really wanted to do, their own identity. But in in the Goldmines in Goldmines April issue, we interviewed John Linsky, an Allman Brothers band historian, for the cover story about Dwayne and Greg Allman's recording work before the Allman Brothers band formed. Uh, the brothers started with Almond Joys, which you just heard in the late 60s, moved quickly onto a band called Hourglass shortly after, and then worked with a project with um, the 31st of February. It was a project with both brothers, and that sounded closer to the ABB sound. So there are four albums being released covering those early days. Uh, you can call them reissues, if you will. Uh, they're of the Allman Brothers, Dwayne and Greg. Uh, fans could see it as a path to the Allman Brothers band, uh, how everything evolved. Um, it's quite good. Um, and then as a guest for this episode, we'll have John Linsky on this episode to talk about those releases thoroughly. So we'll be right back after this quick message. And now this advertising message is from Adam and Eve. This is for all our listeners who are in a relationship and want to add to it by going to adamandeve.com. Adam and Eve are an upscale specialty boutique for discerning couples. And if you go to adamandeve.com, you can find and get free stuff. Uh, We all know free stuff is awesome, but Free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better, and adamandeve.com has it. Uh, You can select almost any one item for 50% off, and then they will load you up on free stuff. All you have to do is just enter the offer code GOLDMINE at checkout, Uh, G-O-L-D-M-I-N-E at checkout, and get 10 tantalizing-free gifts. Uh, You can get a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six free spicy movies as well, plus free shipping, which is always great. That's offer code GOLDMINE at checkout at adamandeve.com. Hey, John, how are you? Good, how are you? How are you holding up in these uh, strange times? Yeah, strange days indeed. Uh, Staying healthy, staying inside. What a great cover story uh, in the April edition of Goldmine. You know, Rachel Stowski did a great job writing it, and you and band manager Bert Holman were interviewed for the piece, and it came out really well. You know, working with Ray is a real pleasure. It's the second time I've worked with him. We did a piece on the, the Greg Allman Late Back Deluxe um, right. late last year, and you know when somebody is familiar with the material. You know when somebody knows what they're talking about. And, and Ray clearly did uh, for the laid-back thing, and he clearly did his homework again 
for the Allman Brothers material. So right. he, he's great to work with, and I truly enjoyed both experiences. Right. I, I, this is the this is an issue to get for uh, Allman Brothers fans. The I mean the piece is about the wealth of music being released to covering Dwayne and Greg's early years, you know, projects before the formation of the uh, ABB. Um, projects like Almond Joys and Hourglass. You know, I, they're basically, what, four albums, right? Two by Hourglass, one by Almond Joys, and one by Dwayne and Greg. Um, yeah, it was um, four of the predecessor albums to the Allman Brothers band. And, and I think our philosophy is we worked on these projects. Again, you mentioned Bert Holman. Bert has been the, the band's manager since 1991, and uh, he's a master at what he does. The past is prologue to any situation, and, and I think to get the complete picture of the Allman Brothers band, particularly as we just finished celebrating 50 years of the band, you got to go back to the beginning. And yes, between the Almond Joys from 1966, the Hourglass from 1968, those two records, and then uh, Dwayne and Greg playing with the 31st of February in late 68, mm -hmm. it takes you in, in that little three-year arc right up to the beginning of the Allman Brothers band. Right. And you can get an idea of how the sound came together or be amazed at how the sound came together based on some of the things you hear on these records. Do you think enough Allman Brothers fans have heard this stuff? Uh, not lately. Um, oh. I think in the early years, yes. Uh, I remember back in the the early 70s when, uh, like 73, 72, 73, after the initial success of the band, you know, people looking to make a buck reissued this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there was that opportunity. Then then the two Hourglass albums were released on CDs limitedly in the early 90s, mm. but not since then. Mm. So other than maybe the Dreams box, perhaps in 1989, there hasn't been a, a, a lot of ways to hear this stuff. So again, with the 50th anniversary coming coming into play, it seemed like the right time to right. make this material available and put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And Greg wasn't necessarily a fan of promoting this music, was he? No, you know, everybody's different, and, and God bless Greg. He, Greg was a finished product guy. Mm -hmm. Greg didn't like people seeing the birthing project he just wanted people to see the baby yes and he was never a fan of demos mm. or unfinished work i mean a lot of people myself included find that stuff fascinating it is yeah. how they got from a to z from beginning to end greg never liked that and you know everybody's different how do you think Dwayne would have felt about this music being released now is it that's a good question you know, unfortunately, Dwayne didn't live long enough right. to, you know, verbalize any opinions how he would have felt about his early work because, you know, he was still a, a work in very early progress when we lost him. Yeah, There's I mean, no could, way of knowing that. Can you imagine what he would have evolved into? Um, God, it's it's mind-boggling where he could have gone and what he was doing 
even even around the time of his death at 24, he was starting to branch out into different things. You know, playing with Herbie Mann on Push Push, mm-hmm. you know, a pure jazz record. Um, mm-hmm. The future was wide open for Dwayne. It really was. Yeah. So the, the easiest thing for uh, people listening would be to go through these albums one by one and what uh, was special about each one. So the first one is the Almond Joys album. Uh, maybe you could explain a little bit about that album, what made it special. Well, what makes it special is the Almond Joys at that time, Dwayne and Greg had just really left Daytona, Florida, Daytona Beach, where they grew up. It was really their first time on the road. And in 1966, they ended up in Nashville for a while. Um, and they they managed to become friends with John D. Loudermilk, the, the great songwriter. And John D. took an interest in them, and they were playing, play, playing at a place called Bradley's Barn in Nashville. And they got a chance to make basically what honestly are demos. And they're very, very rough. Uh, some of Greg's earliest compositions, some cover, some cover songs, and what you hear... This is why I find it interesting, but Greg hated it. You see a band of, you know, 18-year-old kids looking for a sound, mm. looking for an identity, and some of it's pretty good, and some of it's not, <laughs> and some of it you can see, well, all right, that sort of sounds like the Allman Brothers, mm-hmm. and some of it, no, it sounds like the Association or <laughs> Strawberry Alarm Clock. Or right. But listen, they were trying to find their way. And well, don't think about doing anything when you're 18. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this promo photo of uh, the Almond Joys with what looks like mop tops, and they look like they're straight out of the British invasion uh, instead of out Absolutely. of Florida. <laughs> so they were trying to find an identity, kind of. Yeah, they, you know, remember, first time on the road, mm. you know, you just, Greg had just gotten out of high school. Yeah. Um, and you know you're you're not sure of anything when you're 18 years old. Although right. you know artists obviously mature earlier than than other people do. But yeah, this was a band in search of their sound, and they had an opportunity, their first opportunity ever to go into a studio. So they were just happy to have that chance. Mm. And um, like I said, there are a few things. There's a cover of Spoonful on there that's that's pretty cool. Uh, and there's a few other things, Got to Get Away. Uh, interestingly, a stuff called Bell, a song called Bell Bottom Britches of Greg. <laughs> you know, uh, but you, you need to take this album and listen to this album for exactly what it is. Right. A first attempt to make music in a studio. What happened to some of these other musicians like Mike Alexander and Maynard Portwood, is it? Um, yeah, Portwood. What happened to them? Uh, nobody really knows. Really? To be honest with you. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I've heard that that Michael Alexander has passed on, but I'm, hmm. I'm, I honestly don't know. And again, in a situation like this, yeah, one or two guys in an early group go on to be famous. Yes. Well, the other guys go on to you know, ordinary, average guy lives, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, and they pursue another career. But yeah. they were there then, so that at least there's, they can say that. Yeah, you know, sure. I knew them when. <laughs> now, the Hourglass albums, uh, these albums seems like, seem like they were um, there to sort of emphasize Greg and his talents instead of the guitar work of Dwayne. Do you agree with that? Uh, 100%, Pat, you're right. The Liberty Records, uh, the Almonds got, the Almond Joys found themselves in St. Louis. Long story short, they hooked up with some of the members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band mm. who had connections in L.A. Dwayne thought that L.A. was the right place to go. Uh, one of the few times his instincts weren't correct. They signed a deal with Liberty Records. Liberty Records wanted one thing. They wanted Greg Allman, the vocalist, mm. not seeing the, the genius uh, of one of the great guitar players of all time in Dwayne and two other great musicians, Johnny Sandlin and Paul Hornsby, uh, also in the group. It, and, and so it, it, Dwayne Allman in the Hourglass would be like, I don't know, LeBron James playing at the Y. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a total waste of talent that's not going to be seen by anyone. Right. Um, and uh, it's ironic that they earned a great reputation in L.A. playing at the Whiskey, playing at the Troubadour, jamming with uh, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, but the music they played live, where they were they were stellar, where they excelled, had nothing to do with the music, particularly on the first album. Right. And it's, yeah, I could see that because uh, you hear a song like Heartbreak and... Uh other songs and Dwayne doesn't uh he gets some decent lead breaks here and there but nothing um that really stands out for him yeah pat there are moments you get glimpses yeah here and there uh like in know, the song like heartbreak, heartbreak right yeah yes i mean you get he gets this one opportunity to shine and shine he does and then that's it and you know there's some other interesting songs on there you know the fact that they were already recording uh jackson brown's song yeah you know jackson brown who was a no one at that time just like them struggling songwriter right i'm sorry it was called heart right it was called heartbeat not heartbreak um yeah so they hooked up with jackson brown right um early on is that they were able to do this song, Cast Off All My Tears, right? Yes, Cast Off uh, All My Fears. Uh, Jackson actually lived with Greg and Dwayne for a little while, and, and Greg has always spoke of how much he learned about songwriting from Jackson. And, <laughs> uh, you know, they became lifelong buddies. Right. Um, you they know, did. But at the time, right. like, like Greg said, Jackson, he wasn't Jackson Brown. He was just, you know, Jackson <laughs> Brown. <laughs> you know, he was like he was like anybody else. My buddy, you yeah. Know, tried, yeah, just trying to get enough money to eat. Um, but yeah, so the first album, completely dictated by Liberty Records and the producer Dallas Smith, there was no creativity. There was very little originality. It was what Liberty Records wanted and they basically wanted right. you know pop songs right and it was rough man 
Well, writer Ray Chelstowski pointed out that Out of the Night sounded like the group Spiral Staircase. a lot of that yeah you know? and again like the, the strawberry alarm clock or something yeah. um you know indicative of some of the sounds particularly in california at that time but these are guys these are blues and r&b players yes. from the south right you know so <laughs> it was it was rough no doubt and frustrating and speaking and of again, that blues influence its second album power of love um you thought the song um what's it called i'm hanging up my uh heart for you is that the correct hanging up my heart for you correct that is what hinted at things to come for allman brothers i'm gonna stop wasting time honey If I had to pick one song um, that somebody could listen to and say, oh, this is where you're going to hear what became the Almond Brothers, that would be the one. Because you've got Greg's soulful vocals, you know, the the beginning of that whiskey-soaked delivery he had, but with Dwayne's phrasing built all around Mm. the vocals. Mm -hmm. And that became a trademark you know, on, on Stormy Monday and Outskirts of Town and, mm-hmm. and songs like that that you would hear, Statesboro, that you heard with the Allman yeah. Brothers. It, you could see it developing there. And there was a little bit more freedom on, on, on Power of Love. Greg got more of his songs on there. And the title song, although he didn't write it, Power of Love really showed what Greg Allman can do. Yeah, it's a great song. That's, that's, yeah, and I understand in that regard why Liberty wanted him. Yeah, but they shouldn't have. They should. They just should have signed Greg as a solo artist and 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 not the rest of the band. But it was what it was. Right. How do you think Greg's voice matured uh, here from the Almond Joys? It was amazing. I mean, we're talking a year and a half to two years, and you know, <laughs> yeah, you're. By the time you're 18 to 20, your your voice is pretty much matured. But at 18 or tw- at 20, you know he had the voice of a 60 year old man. 
mm. uh, an old blues singer. And that's just a gift. You know, that, that just was flat out a gift. Mm. And um, I give him credit. He knew he had a gift. And he worked, he worked as hard on his voice as Dwayne worked on his guitar. Mm. Which then, then some tension started brewing between the brothers, and which leads us to the 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 Dwayne and Greg album. Um, maybe you can explain how uh, that album came to be. You know, so much of the the music scene in Florida, in Daytona, where the where the brothers grew up, was incestuous, and guys were always playing the same clubs and the same scenes and mm -hmm. they got to know each other. And one of the Florida musicians that the Almond brothers had met early on 66, 65 was a drummer named Butch trucks from Jacksonville. Mm. And Butch would sit in from them with the, with the band from time to time. And although the brothers ended up out West, whenever they came back to visit their mom in Daytona, they'd hook up with the various guys and play. And, and Butch was, in a band called the 31st of February, sort of a folk rock band. Mm. And and so the brothers were familiar with Butch and vice versa. Um, the situation out in California by late 68 had deteriorated so badly that Dwayne said, the hell with this. He and the rest of the guys, Johnny Samlin, Paul Horns, VP Carr, split. They said, we're not doing this anymore. Liberty still have them, held them to a contract. Greg said, I'm staying. I'm going to fulfill the contract. I think in part because he liked Southern California. He liked that lifestyle. So anyway, Dwayne Twist drifts back to Florida, hooks up with, with Butch. They're playing a little bit. Greg comes home for a visit. This is around September of 68. And they go into a studio down here in Miami, actually, uh, in Hialeah. And it was Dwayne and Greg playing with Butch and his band, the 31st of February. Mm. And they laid down some pretty good tracks. And um, Greg had no intention of staying. He was home for a visit. He was going back out to California. But those tracks inspired Butch enough to think that they really had something. Uh, Butch was angry that Greg left, mm. um, although he'll be back shortly, as it turned out. Um, but when you listen, if you want the album that's closest to the Allman Brothers, there's no question, this 31st of February, which was reissued in 73 as a pure money grab uh, called Dwayne and Greg Allman, um, it's right here. Yes. Um, it's right there. Uh, Morning Dew, God rest his soul. I mean, nobody knows you when you're down and out. Dwayne later did that with, you know, Clapton on the Domino's record on Layla. Mm -hmm. um, the first version of Melissa. Uh, there are some really, really good things on here. Um, and, and you could see this is September 68 by March of 69. Dwayne and Butch, along with J-Mo, Dickie Betts, and Barry Oakley, had come together in Jacksonville. Dwayne knew he had something. He knew he had one missing piece, that piece with his brother. The phone call was made from California. And in March of 1960, in fact, yesterday, March the 26th, 
1969, the Allman Brothers Band played together for the first time. Hmm. And so there you go. From September of 68 to March of 69 was the amount of time between 31st of February and the birth of the Allman Brothers Band. Hmm. So not much time at all. What do you think of this early version of Melissa here? Come and go the Gypsy flies from coast to coast Knowing many loving that Having sorrow, having fun But back home he'll always run I like it a lot, actually, because, you know, we all know Melissa from Eat a Peach. Right. Uh, and that version is a very heavy version. It's a sorrowful version because Dwayne had just died. Mm -hmm. And it was delivered as that, as a mournful tribute. It's some of the greatest playing Dickie ever did. Uh, soulful, melodic, and mournful. But, you know, when Greg first wrote that song, he wrote it as more of an upbeat uh, tune. And you hear that clearly on this one. The tempo is different. Dwayne's slide, although still very early in his slide playing days, was, was light and lifting. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, it just changed. It changed yeah. for obvious reasons because Dwayne loved that song. Told his brother it was the first good song he, he wrote, the <laughs> first song that Greg wrote and kept. And and you know it's interesting again to hear how it was played in September of '68 to how it was played hmm. in you know early '72 after right after Dwayne had died. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big clincher for fans to hear that different version. Um, oh yeah, and yeah. I, I think Morning Dew as well, and God Rest His Soul, which Greg wrote as a tribute to Martin Luther King, right. uh, is a really moving song. Mm. And Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out is classic, classic blues. Yeah. Now it's going to be so, a big, it's going to be a big release year for the Almonds, and uh, there's this Fillmore West album, right? And then the. Right an airy Pennsylvania show that was done in the 2000s. Um, both are supposed to be really good. Can you explain those a little? Yeah, Fillmore West came out uh, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. We, I, I, I'm fortunate to be a part of a great team. Uh, Bert Holman, as I mentioned, the band's manager. Uh, Bill Levinson, Grammy-winning producer, uh, renowned producer, Kirk West, the band's longtime archivist and myself uh, have, we work together very, very, very well. Mm -hmm. And so we have been going through the archives, going through the vaults, so to speak. And Fillmore West is a compilation of three shows from January of 71, late January of 71. The band played four nights at Fillmore West, Bill Graham's 
venue out west there where they were always well received. We had three of the four shows. Uh, Bill and his team, uh, Jason Nesmith, doing a great job. I mean, these tapes were old. <laughs> Pat, they were old. Mm. They'd been in attics. They'd been in closets. You know, they'd been exposed to the elements. But Bill and his team did a great job uh, salvaging them. And, and Fillmore West was recorded about six weeks before Fillmore East, mm. the legendary Fillmore East right, album. Right. And so it's a, it's a great, great precursor to where the band was leading mm. up to Fillmore East. And it's, it's, it's three smoking nights, mm. smoking nights. Um, we're very proud of that one. Uh, and you just mentioned Erie, mm. Erie from July of 2005. Mm. I refer to Erie as the best show that no one's ever heard. Wow. Um, just one of those nights, little tiny theater in Erie, Pennsylvania on a Tuesday night. And everything just lined up that night. The band was rested. It's a beautiful venue, great crowd, and they killed it. They yeah. absolutely killed it. But, I mean, there were fewer than 2,000 people there. Sold out, but it was a tiny little place uh, on a big amphitheater tour that summer. And nobody heard about this show in Erie. Um, but everybody in the band knew it. We all knew it. And it's one of those shows that is just stuck in everybody's memory for, well, 15 years now. Mm. And Bert was having us look for something from that era, the, the Haynes, Warren Haynes, Derek Trucks era, if you will. And Erie was just a natural. Mm. And we're in the process of wrapping up uh, that project. Um, hopefully it'll be out soon with, you know, the current situation. Things are a little bit in flux, but people are going to love it. It's an amazing, amazing show. Did you get, <laughs> Amazing did, show. Did you get to do the liners on that? I did. Oh, good. I did. Good. Uh, I look forward to like it. Like I said, we have a great, we have a great team. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Kirk and I know the history. Bill knows how to make things sound great. Terry Bradley, our art director, makes things look great. Richard Brent at the Big House, the Allman Brothers Band Museum at the Big House in Macon, Georgia. Richard is always finding us stuff to use uh, in our compilations. And, you know, Bird oversees everything. It's a marvelous team. Mm. Very happy with it. So lastly, i got to ask you, what's your take on the Trouble No More collection? Trouble No More was the ultimate, ultimate effort. Um, we had the opportunity, again, the team, Bill, Bird, Kirk, and myself, mm. and with great people at Universal, right. Universal Records, Jeff Fura, Josh Graham, Vartan Kurajan, these guys, they bent over backwards to help us do exactly what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do was an A to Z, uh, Alpha to Omega, um, overview of the Allman Brothers Band. And, uh, you know, so we went back to the very, very, very beginning, the first demo they ever cut, mm -hmm. Trouble No More. And we bookended that with the very last song they ever played, in 2014, Trouble No More on the uh, the band's closing performance at the Beacon Theater in October of 2014. And then we covered everything in between. The Capricorn Records years, uh, the Chuck Lavelle Brothers and Sisters era, 
you know, the rambling man period, if you will, the not so great, perhaps, years at Arista Records, and then the rebirth in 1989, and, you know, the great, great uh, 35 years that we had of, of the Allman Brothers band again. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got 10 LPs here, five gatefolds, yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. uh, uh, that slipcase, you got 56-page book. Um, yeah. And then to top it all off, in vinyl comes this orange and red splatter colored vinyl, which which looks like a peach inside of a peach, right? I mean, it just looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we couldn't have been more pleased. Yeah, you hit, you hit a home run here, that's for sure. Thank you for that, Pat. We, we really worked hard on it. Everybody yeah. did. Universal, like I said, was great. Uh, and we really, we tried to give the entire mosaic um, from a hardcore fan who's going right. to buy the, the, obviously, to the more casual fan who will, you know, get, get most likely the CD collection. Right. It gives you, it gives you the complete picture of the right. Almond Brothers fan. The, the evolution the splintering, the rebirth, and the conclusion. Yeah, pretty much so if you want, even someone said, wow, I never got into the Allman Brothers, they could buy this, and then all their answers, uh, all the questions will be answered. Um, all the, yes, by listening yep. and by reading yep. and, and looking at the pictures, you yep. know, we, it was a total package, Pat. Yep. Very, very it's like something that should be in the library someday. So, <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Agreed completely. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for your time, man. Um, and as always, it's a pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Pat. And, and thank you for having me. And I, I look forward to many, many more good things down the road, both for the Almond Brothers and for Goldmine. Yep. And obviously we all look for... Uh, for a conclusion to this and health for everyone. Yep. Amen. Thanks, John. Thank you for enlightening us about more about the, the Allman brothers, Greg and Dwayne and the evolution or the path to the Allman brothers band. Everyone, if you could pick up or find the April issue of Goldmine, there's a great, um, there's a great cover story interview with John and it's, it's worth, worth the read. And it's definitely worth any, Allman Brothers uh, fan. And go to goldmymag.com for exclusive content, uh, 68% off the cover price. Uh, you can also get a digital edition uh, in case you can't go to Barnes & Noble, digital edition subscription. And uh, also check out the next podcast that we'll be delivering. And that will be in the next week. It should be with Record Store Recon. Okay, this is Pat Prince signing off. We'll catch you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.